what I need your help with right now is, can you please solve this equation for me? Who knows the answer? You got 10 seconds. Okay. Wow, hey, you're really smart. You must have got the answer from Becky. All right, so. You. So this is an equation that's very difficult. Obviously, it's something that we can't solve right off the bat. So another thing I want to show you, it's coming, don't worry. All right, can anyone see the picture in here? Don't shout it out, Good. can you see what this picture is? Okay, now let me go ahead and, and look at it from a different perspective. So this is two, now what is it? You can shout it out. Eyes. We saw it from a different perspective, and we see now we see the eyes that are actually in that picture. When we were up close in the perspective that we had, we couldn't, we couldn't see the eyes. So what am I trying to show you here? What I'm trying to show you here is, one, we don't know everything. All right? We couldn't figure out that equation. Two, we have a certain perspective. We don't have the whole perspective on things. And that kind of leads us into what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to continue our, our service today, our um, sermon series on everyday wisdom, and we're going to look at plans and providence. Our plans and God's providence. What do I mean by providence? Providence is a, a big theological word. What I mean by providence is God's perfect plan as he works it out in time and space. So it's how do we reconcile our plans that we make with God's big plan to meet his final end? How do we reconcile that? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we come to you right now and we just recognize that you are so big. You're so, just, it's hard to wrap our arms around you sometimes, Lord. So I pray that you would just give us vision, you would give us wisdom as we seek your word and your guidance today. May your spirit go out before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we go and we tackle this, this, this thing about our planning efforts and, and God's plan, we're traveling in some deep waters here. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and give you a disclaimer up here. We're traveling in some deep waters. The other thing is, is a disclaimer, this is a very difficult task because as finite creatures of God, we are trying to articulate and grasp the infinite God. And we're going to hit a certain level where we're just... We're not going to be able to explain it because we're limited. So I wanted to throw those disclaimers out there. Not excuses, but disclaimers. And I love questions. That's why we have pizza with the pastor after this. So this week, um, as I was preparing the sermon, um, we, we had this little exercise. We did this little exercise at the church, and people got together, and they were asking me a bunch of questions. And, and it was interesting because... You know, sometimes you, you really don't think about your life. You're kind of just like, well, I'm here. But those questions required me to think about, well, wow, Lord, how did I even get here? Have you guys ever thought about that? Have you ever got there and said, how did my life ever get to this point? I mean, in some respects, as I stand before you as a North Andover campus pastor, I go, well, yeah, I planned that. But in another respect, I planned none of this. And I guess you guys can say the same thing in your lives. You're saying, I didn't plan where I'm at. I did, but I didn't. And so as we look into Proverbs, the first thing we're going to see is that God's sovereign providence works through our plans. Proverbs 16.9 says, 
in their hearts. When, when we talk about in their hearts, the, the, the locus of a person's thoughts, volition, and, and, and emotions, that it's not just feelings. It's the source of emotions and thoughts. Humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps, or he moves them towards a certain goal. So as we see Proverbs uh, 69, we see that God works through our mind and our conscience to meet his purpose. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seems pure to them, but motives, you know those intents, those purposes, are weighed or examined or made correct by the Lord. So we see that God works through our motives to meet his purposes. Proverbs 16.1 says, To humans belong the heart, belong the plan of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. We even see that God works through our speech to meet his purposes. We're reminded of numbers. In the book of Numbers, we get the, uh, the picture of, of Balaam. And Balaam is paid by the king of Moab to pronounce a curse on the Israelites. But yet, as he goes to make that curse, he's unable to. God intervenes, and he actually blesses the Israelites. So we see that God even works through our speech. So if we observe what we're, we're talking about in Proverbs, we see some things. We see, one, humans are called to plan. So it isn't like we're called to be deterministic or we're called to just be passive, but it's clear we make plans. And God doesn't say that's a bad thing. However, we see that our plans are established by the Lord, and God, God gives proper answers to those plans. We see Proverbs 16.33 says, every decision is from the Lord. So we see every single decision that we make is ultimately from the Lord. Now, I know some of you right now are going... What about my free will? Don't I have free will? Aren't I free to make the decisions that I want to make? And the Bible affirms that. Yes, you have free will. But I think the thing that we're not understanding is our free will is limited by our ability. Let me explain what I mean. I always had this dream, weird dream, but I always wanted to run a four-minute mile. Like, I wanted to run a, like a mile. I want to run in four minutes. I think it would be cool. It would be great. I could run super fast. I wouldn't even in a car. I could just get there. Like, super fast. But the problem is, is that, and I'm free to do that, but I'm hindered my, by my ability to do that. You get what I'm saying? And our free will is hindered by our ability. Sin has hindered our ability to do the good things of God. Not saying that things aren't necessarily good that we do, but the good things of God. God has established those steps for us. We're hindered by that. Now, some people would say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that God could direct our steps. He can't do that. Because some people say, God doesn't even know what's happening. Some people have this picture that God is sitting up. He's this benevolent grandfather who went and twisted the, the time clock of the world, and he's waiting for us to make decisions, and then he, he goes, oh man, I didn't see that coming. And then he, he reacts off of that. That's not the sovereign God that we read of Scripture. And some people say, well, God would never infringe on our free will. He would never enter in and work through our mind or through our conscience. Yet we read Proverbs 21, 1 says, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. 
we see that God actually does intervene in these things. And I think we have to get to the core of the issue. Why does this offend us so much? Some of you right now are like, I just want to run out of here with what he's saying. Why does this offend us so much? It goes right in the face one of our cultural values. We hold self-sufficiency and autonomy so high in this culture, don't we? Like, we, we are self-made people. We did this. And so when we say, well, no, actually, God did this, it runs right up against our, our cultural values that we, we, we hold so high. And here's the interesting thing that I find. When we cry out in distress, when we're having, like, just a certain issue in life, when we cry out in distress, when we cry out to the almighty God, Aren't we petitioning to a sovereign God that he'll intervene in the wills of other people or in our plans? Aren't we saying, God, intervene right now. Violate their will. Do it. I want it. Aren't we saying that? We can't have it both ways. We see that God is an active, a good, and perfect God. I am so thankful that my plan is not his plan. You ever guys, have you ever thought about that? What if God took direction from me? Things would be a disaster. I mean, I just think that he is in control of these things. So that's the first thing. It was interesting, um, when I was going through this, this thing this week at the church and people were asking me questions, Some of the questions had to relate to my military service. And they were hard questions. They weren't bad questions. And people didn't mean bad things when they were asking these things, but it required me to reflect on some times. Some times that, that during combat. Some times that you see things that you wish you never would have seen. And that kind of leads us to our second point. God's sovereign providence works through the plan of the wicked. I started thinking of all the things that I seen and all the things that I saw that were just so, like, God, why? I don't get this. Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord works out or carries out everything, everything, everybody, everyone, to its proper purpose, to its proper end. Even the wicked, the wicked, those that are characterized by godlessness for the day of disaster. We see that God transformed wicked means to meet his glorifying ends. We're reminded of the story of Joseph in, in Genesis. Here you have, you have Joseph. Joseph's the favored son of Jacob. And his brothers are just like, I'm tired of this guy. One, because he brags about everything and he has a cool coat. So, Let's get rid of them. And what do they do? They sell them into slavery. And Joseph goes through this amazing story. I recommend that you read it in Genesis if you haven't read it. It's an amazing story. And Jacob dies and his brothers, at this time Joseph is now second in command of all of Egypt. And he's, he's saved his people. And his brothers start to get worried because they're like, okay, dad's dead and... Now Joseph is free to 
exact, you know, just put his vengeance on us for what we did to him when he was younger. But this is what Joseph says in Genesis 50, 20. He says, you intended me, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph is like, listen, just because you were wicked and you, you, you wanted these wicked things to happen, God used those for his glory to meet his purposes. And we see that throughout all of Scripture. We see that in our lives as well. And the pinnacle of that was Jesus Christ. You see that it was God's will to crush him, and he used the plans of the wicked to bring him to the cross, to crush him, to crucify him. And I want to make it clear that God does not make the wicked sin. God doesn't make you sin. That's clear in James 1.13. But he uses our sin to accomplish his ends. We're still culpable for what we do. Jesus, talking of Judas, says, it would be better if he was never born. So we see there's still culpability in the things that we do. You can't sit there and go, well, you know, God willed me or made me do this. You know, sometimes I get people and, and they say, you know, I think God's will in my life um, and what he wants me to do is I, want, I think he wants me to go and cheat on my wife. I think that's what he wants. I've actually had people say those things or cheat on my husband. He wants me to be happy. And I'm going, no, that's not his will. Read his word. He's very clear on that. But here's the thing. We're, we're left with a, a really tough part thing. I can't even put my, my finger on it. And this is my question. I, I say, God, why don't you just crush the plans of the wicked? Why don't you just crush it? I mean, I started thinking about why did some of my friends have to die? I mean, why do they have to die? They were young. What about, what about the people that I met? Why did they have to die? And I know some of you have questions like that. Why did this have to happen? And what I've come to the conclusion is, is I don't know. I don't know why God allowed that to happen, but I know that God is a good and just and perfect God. And here's the thing. I know that God is long-suffering. He's long-suffering with the wicked. And I know that because he's long-suffering with me, and apart from Christ, we are, we are all wicked. And here's the thing. My, our hope is not whether or not we can explain why God has allowed something to happen. Our hope is on Jesus Christ and the gospel, the good news of the gospel. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in the message that, God, I don't know everything, but you do, and thank you for that. Our hope is in the fact that Apart from you, I am wicked. I know I'm wicked because I know what I'm capable of. Don't you know what you're capable of? You know those, those times when you're alone and you're like, I'm so glad no one knows my thoughts right now or what I've done or what my motives are. Yet Christ came clothed in flesh and lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life for us. And he died. He was put on the cross. And he suffered the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserve. Everyone thinks it was, it was the crucifixion that was the most painful thing for, for Christ. 
No, it was the wrath that was being poured out on him by the Father. It was the first time that the Son had ever felt the wrath of the Father. Father, it's the first time he ever felt our sin. The sinless Son finally feels our sin and the wrath. And he feels that. He feels that separation. And it's all for us. It's all for us. When we put our faith in him, the Father looks at us and he sees his Son, his perfect Son, and he smiles. We're no longer destined for hell, but we're destined for hell. That's what our hope is in, not whether or not we can figure this out. So that's the second thing. How many of you have ever been promised something by somebody and they never kept their promise? I think everyone's hands should be going up on that one. All of us have been promised so many things. It could be, hey, I promise that, you know, you're going to get this deal. It could be a relationship. Oh, I promise I'll never leave. Some of us have been the ones who've broken the promise. And here's the thing about God, when we think about his sovereign plan, our plan, and reconciling it with his bigger plan. God is big enough that he keeps his promise. He keeps all of his promises. That's the good news about this. So that brings us to our third point. God's sovereign providence ensures the certainty of his promises. You see, if we have a God that doesn't know what's happening, doesn't know what's happening from moment to moment and is expecting us to make decisions, then his promises aren't worth anything because he's just reactionary. He's just reacting to us. He's going, oh, I hope you didn't do that. I didn't see that coming. So his promises are worth nothing. But if we have a God who says, my perfect end those promises, they're going to happen because I'm big enough and I'm sovereign enough and it's my plan that matters and I work through your plans. Then that's something we can grasp to. That's hope, folks. That's like certainty. Read in Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. They are an abomination. They're an abomination to him. Be sure of this. They will go, they will not go unpunished. Here's the thing. Because God is sovereign, and has a sovereign plan, he ensures that Christ's justice will prevail now or in eternity. Some of us have been victims of some really evil things. Or we know people that have been victimized of some really evil things. And we go, Lord, are you going to do anything about it? And God says, yes, I am going to do something about it. It's either going to happen now or in eternity, but I will do something about it. And since he's sovereign and he keeps his promises, we know that he's going to do something about it. It's going to happen. It's a done deal. And that's hope. Those people will be punished. That's why God says, vengeance is mine. Proverbs 16.6 says, you would love. That word love is hased. I love that word. Or the unfailing gracious love. That's what that means. In faithfulness, sin is atoned for, covered over, cleansed. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. God's sovereign plan ensures our eternal security. Christ covered our sin. He covered it. And it doesn't matter, like our salvation doesn't matter with our flimsy plans. You're never going to be good enough and you can't plan, like you're not the best planner in that. Can we agree on that? We're all not the best planner of our lives. We do, we do some really boneheaded things sometimes. I don't think that's a theological term, boneheaded, but I'm sure it's somewhere in there. 
the message or something like that. So my point is, we have eternal security because God has said, if you put your faith in Christ, you are eternally mine. I will never let you go. Your salvation is secure. You don't have to do anything because it's already been paid in full by Christ. That's hope. That's real hope. Proverbs 16, 12 says, Kings detest wrongdoing. For a throne or a position of power is established, it's fixed, determined, set up through righteousness. We know that King Jesus' throne has been set up for eternity, now and for eternity. And God's sovereign plan ensures the eternal reign of Christ. He's our king now, and one day he will come back. And here's the thing. When we commit our plans to God, and we, and we we say, God, these plans are here. Whatever you want to do, we want to work for you. He uses our plans to meet his global and eternal means or ends. Does that, does that make sense? Like, what we do here in the local church, here in the Merrimack Valley, here in North Andover, Andover, wherever you're from, you might think, this is just insignificant. I'm just doing this here. What's the big deal? I'm in New England. But God says, I have a plan, and you are, this is part of the means to my global eternal plan. You're part of something bigger, eternal. That is huge. He uses the local church. He uses me. He uses you for that to meet his eternal ends. Talk about humbling. Who am I, God? I think you could all say that. Who, who am I? Proverbs 16, 15 says, when a king's face brightens or feelings of extreme radiant love, it means life. In Christ, it means eternal life. His favor or his pleasure, approval, and acceptance is like a rain cloud in the spring. You know, a rain cloud in the spring, it just, get that shade, it's just this, it's just this covering, it's just this, you get this relaxation, it's, it's, it just feels great. We see that God's sovereign plan ensures our eternal joy in Christ. His affection for us is now and forever. Because he's promised us, and because we're part of his plan, and when you put your faith in Christ, he says, I love you. I love you with an eternal affection for now and forever. And it's just going to get more intense and more intense and more intense until one day we become face to face with him. And there's real joy and satisfaction in this. If you notice, if you heard me preach a few times, I talk a lot about the joy and satisfaction of Christ and being in Christ and seeing him face to face. Because here's the thing. That's where we find our, our most joy and satisfaction that transcends any circumstance in this world. I want you to understand that Christianity isn't about rules. It's not about following this, that, and the other. It's about a relationship with Christ, a relationship of, of a God who says, I love you, I love you, I love you. So the question is, how do we respond to all this? That's like heavy stuff, Brian. Like you just, you just dropped a bomb right now. That's heavy. You really didn't answer my, answer my questions of how do I reconcile this. Well, wait, there's more. We have to embrace the both and. We have to embrace that God is sovereign, yet we have free will, and our free will is limited. And somehow God brings it all together. And as finite creatures, we're not going to wrap our arms around the infinite God and figure everything out. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit, dedicate, trust everything 
to the Lord whatever you do. Everything, all your activities. And he will establish or prepare your plans. So what does God call us to do? He calls us to commit. So what do you want me to do, Brian? Commit, commit, commit. Commit everything to the Lord. What does that look like? You guys are following along in your outline. I made a little acronym out of commit. First thing we want to do is we want to call out to God in prayer. Something comes up and we need to make a decision. We need to make a plan. Call out to God in prayer. God has instituted prayer and we have free access through Christ to a holy God. Isn't that amazing? We get to pray. Commit everything to prayer. Call out to God and say, God, what do you want for me in this situation? Call out. James makes it, makes it clear. If we want wisdom, pray for wisdom and God will answer us. Second thing we need to do is observe. Observe the direction God is leading you, especially through his Holy Spirit. Listen, I am a planner. I love to plan. I love having like a whiteboard and like drawing diagrams. and I just love it. I don't know why. It's just, that's one of my nerdy things that I do. I just, I think it's great. But here's the thing. We could fall in love with our plans sometimes. And God says, observe where I'm leading you. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm standing before you today. Me and my wife, Erica, are standing before you today. Why? Not because I planned this. Has anyone ever out, been, out, been out to Southern California? Okay. I didn't plan coming out to New England. This was God saying, you're going to New England. Whatever happens, whatever those New Englanders do to you, you're going. I said, God, I don't want to go to New England. I've, yeah. But he says, I'm here. You go. You observe where he's leading you. Be sensitive to the spirits on that. Three, meditate. Meditate on, your, on the precepts and promises of God in Scripture. Listen, God says, I have promised things and I have certain precepts, things I want you to do. They're in Scripture. God doesn't sit there and say, you know what? Just make up whatever you want, however you feel. He says, I've already told you. You want to know the will for your life? Look in my word. It says it. It says, do this, do that. The Spirit works through the Word by guiding us. You know, again, if you have a feeling or an inclination and you feel the Spirit is leading you in a direction, and you've meditated on God's Word, I want to encourage you with this. The Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was the creation of God's Word, and it's also working in our hearts as He advocates for the things of Christ and they will not conflict with one another. So if you feel that the Spirit is leading you to do something, it will be confirmed in His Word, and vice versa. Does that make sense? If you're like, I'm not really sure if God wants me to do that, read His Word. But that requires you to dig into His Word, and read it every single day, and be committed to His Word. So meditate on that. Meditate doesn't just mean an academic pursuit, it means rest, listen to God. Read His Word and listen to Him. Listen. The, third, the fourth thing is make a plan. Make a plan. Have you ever heard of the term analysis by paralysis? Some people just analyze and analyze and analyze, and they're afraid they're going to make a mistake, so they don't plan or do anything. 
God says, make a plan. Make it. We just read it in, in Proverbs 16. Make a plan. I want you to make your plan. It's all right. Make your plan. Fifth, initiate your plan. Do something. Move. Do it. It's all right. God created us for activity, action, or people of action. Go do something. I want you to do something. So we then we initiate our plan. And finally, we're called to trust. Trust God for results. Listen, he might switch things up in the midst of your plan as you initiate your plan. He might say, pump the brakes. You're going this way. I'm leading you that way. That happened to Paul like numerous times. You look, if you read in Acts and the missionary journeys, he's like, I'm going to go here. And God's like, nope, you're going there. And that happens to us in our lives. And here's the thing. We can't separate God's means from his, his, his ends. Sometimes we go and we say, I trust you, God, but I really don't know what you're doing. I don't get it. Has anyone ever played the game of Mousetrap? You see these like random pieces, and you're like, I don't really get how all these random pieces fall. And all of a sudden, it's like, mousetrap falls. You're like, that's pretty cool. At least, anyone thought that was cool? <laughs> okay, a couple people are like, yeah, I got you, man. No, it's cool. You're like, wow. And that's how God works. We don't always get why that piece is there or why that's happening, but God does because He has the eternal perspective of things. important that we trust God in the now. Just live day to day trusting in Him, trusting in He'll direct His steps. Planning's good, but make sure that we, we trust Him. As I conclude, I just, I want to just reiterate the fact that this is a big, heavy topic. This is a big thing. God affirms both. It's also an amazing thing. It's puzzling to us. It might be offensive to some, but it's an amazing thing because it ensures the promises of God. My prayer for us is that we're solely committed to God wherever He leads us. I pray that we would shout as the psalmist does. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills His purposes for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this message that you've brought to us today. I pray that you work in our hearts and we would live for your glory. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.